I always say this, my, my biggest gift is the fact that I'm not gifted at anything. Nothing's come to me easy. So you either got a growth mindset, you got a fixed mindset, you're either a consumer or you're a provider or you're a creator. The first time that I really experienced meritocracy in my life, it doesn't matter what I look like. I, I didn't go to fancy private school. I don't have lawyer barrister parents. It was just what I was able to deliver. I'm a strong believer that whatever, whatever God throws at us, he's thrown at us because we can handle it. You know, when you're so, so obsessed and dedicated about trying to bring something about because you truly believe in it, you believe you're unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive, but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com ladies and gentlemen it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to Unstoppable today, uh, the, the the man behind OxyShred, he is carved like a Greek god, Izar Basha. Mate, great to have you on here. Hey, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Cohen. Mate, it's uh, I got to say it's now a bit of an honour. I think uh, I feel leaner, uh, to be honest, just talking to you. You've got the you've got that. It just in your presence, fat seems to just melt away from me, mate. I uh, as I was saying to you just before we jumped on here, I knew about OxyShred before I knew about you, uh, and then finding out about EHP Holdings and everything behind it, mate. I'm actually quite amazed. You have built a significant empire, nine figure plus empire. Uh, over the last, when did you start this? When was it? In um, so the idea was conceived in 2012, and we first got product. 2012, yeah, and we kicked off in until now. Dude, that's epic! Like this is uh, you know one of those stories that you don't often get to talk to people about. So, mate, uh, I know you've got an incredible story, and it didn't necessarily you know start where most people would think. But where did this all begin? Actually, before we go there, there's always this question I like to ask people, mate. You've done a lot of things in a whole range of different areas, apart from growing your empire. When you're at dinner and nobody knows who you are, if you're going to a dinner party and you sit down and someone says, "Okay, mate, so uh, what do you do? How do you answer that question?" Man, it's a, it's it's a funny one. I normally go in and say I, I, I'm 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 the former lawyer who saw light at the end of the tunnel and managed to escape. But um, yeah, I normally get in there and just say we're we're involved. It just gets so complex when you say supplements. <laughs> I I normally start off with you know we're in we're in the social media marketing industry and we help we help people become better. And then that starts yeah, a right. big rabbit hole discussion and we get into health and fitness supplements and helping people to lose weight, become more confident, live better, more meaningful lives and reach their full potential in what they do, man. So yeah, that normally starts a conversation and it gets deeper from there and goes, goes pretty deep. I'm a pretty uh, philosophical person. So, um, Oh, you are. Oh, then this is going to be a great conversation then. Um, so mate, you, you, as I said, you have achieved an incredible height of success with what you've created with EHP labs. Where does this go back? Like, where does your story begin? Where does this start? Yeah, mate. Yeah, good, good question. Um, look, my family is originally from Fiji. Um, you've obviously asked how to pronounce the name and didn't want to butcher it, which, which, <laughs> which, which, which I respect big time. 
Um, my family's from Fiji, so at the age of at the age of five, my family escaped political and racial persecution in Fiji to flee to Australia. Um, I have Indo yeah, right. Fijian heritage, so my dad's great grandparents are sugarcane farming slaves taken from the South India to Fiji to work the sugarcane fields, and so yeah, come from, wow, yeah, come from pretty humble beginnings, and I've seen the sacrifice that my parents have made for me and my sister to give us a better life. And Australia was always this. It was like, um, man, like, you know, Alice in Wonderland kind of thing, you know, just this, I was bright eyed, bushy tailed kid with no front teeth, uh, coming to Australia. I lost my front teeth when I was three years old in a little, and in an accident. So I had this kind of, my mum would call me the open window and I'd smile because it had this big gas <laughs> So you still remember landing in Australia? You still remember that day? Mate, big time. I, um, my, my parents still, still tease me to, to, to this day. And they say, you know, you're so excited to jump on that big airplane. You should, you'd say, I went to go on the Qantas, you know, because the list was on the Qantas airplane. <laughs> But for yeah, me, right. for me, when I landed in this country, and obviously um, the, the the way I the way I look, I mean that that was never an issue for me. You know, I, I've I've always been the person who wants to fit into wherever I am. And coming to Australia, I just wanted to be so Australian. And uh, and all I did was um, my mum cooked some beautiful Fijian curries and stuff, and I just absolutely vetoed that. And I just uh, pretty much had the Vegemite and toast diet uh, and, and Tim Tams. <laughs> that's all I was about. I mean, thank you. Nutrition has cleaned up yeah. since then. Um, but long story short, my sister. So, where did you land in Australia? Where did you move to? Is, have you been in New South Wales and Sydney the whole time? Yeah, good question. We we first moved into a two bedroom unit with my auntie and uncle who were in Australia before my parents got here. And so, as two families, um, there would have been twelve people in a two bedroom unit in Summer Hill. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And my parents struggled to get jobs. My dad was, you know, a, a brown skinned. Um, you know, six foot two Muslim male with an accent and, uh, and, and, and mum was a vivacious, charismatic, beautiful uh, woman who'd never, never worked um, because just it's, that's, that's just how it was in Fiji. You know, she raised a family yeah, and, and dad was doing pretty well in Fiji and came here and pressed the reset button. I saw my parents, you know, sacrifice and be humble and take whatever, whatever gifts this beautiful country had to, had to give my family. Dad worked uh, as a prison officer at night and the housing department yeah, right. in the daytime, um, building houses uh, for the indigenous communities in housing welfare. Uh, and yeah, wow. and mum would nurse all night, do nursing all night, and then stand up as a bank teller all day long. So parents were two jobs each. Didn't see them until I was oh. about 16 years old. Yeah, wow. And I can only imagine that um, two things would have happened. Number one, you would have been given an incredible demonstration of work ethic. Um, but the second thing that I can only assume that would have happened if you would have had to develop, you know, an enormous amount of independence quite early. Yeah, Cohen. So work, work ethic is, is key. It, it For me, the biggest thing was sacrifice. And seeing yeah, right. what my parents had to sacrifice, what they gave up for me and my sister to come to this amazing country um yeah i could never pay that back man so all the all of the, the 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 things that came later on in my life and i'm sure we'll explore them later on in this in this discussion um i hope it sheds some light on on maybe my early years and what i've been through and look this is nothing i mean it's nothing out of the ordinary man it's probably just a typical immigrant story and a lot of people go through this and people have much more hardships than me and things but for me it truly resonated and i think it's really important to talk about that because the, yeah. pa the past helps to shape who we are today um 
much so. Because again, a lot of people who would only know you from your success would know you as the guy that's built the, you know, the the nine figure empire that is EHP. But what have been some of those hardships that you experienced, you know, in those early days in Australia when you came over? Look, it's um, I was really privileged, man. I'm not going to say I had any massive hardships. I was quite protected. I was the, yep. the younger of the two siblings. My sister was nine and I was five. She'd cook for me. She'd make sure I was fed. You know, I had a pretty happy upbringing. I got to watch Humphrey B. Bear cartoons and, you know, I got to, I, I was a very happy-go-lucky kid. Like we, we're very resilient. You know, when, when you come from yeah. an immigrant background, and um, you're not as, as super sensitive as, as sometimes people who are born into privilege. And I wouldn't say I had yeah. any massive, massive issues other than maybe some, some things, you know, obviously as, as, as most um, kids, you know, that, that look different and it's massive in America now. And, you know, my company is based in America too. We've got pretty much 60% of the, the company's revenue comes out of the States. Black Lives Matter and, you know, the whole awareness of of racism and prejudice and discrimination they're things i went through man i wouldn't say i was too hung up about them um but yeah just- but you've had the experience you had the experience and it seems like you're a little bit teflon like it's like it just didn't stick it just slid on by yeah man i, I think we, we we learn from them we you, you understand you empathize i mean it was at a particular time it's nothing that's held me back ever things made me who i am today you know it's uh, really really developed that resilience yeah, right. And so at what point did you, did you start getting interested in business? Like had business always been on your radar or was it something that came along as you started to grow? Because I've, I've heard the story. It sounded like you, you, you did quite well at school. Is that right? So the, the business stuff, to, to just address that first. My, um, yeah, of course. I watched, um, I, I watched my parents work really, really hard to give us every single thing. And my grandparents, who obviously uh, were active in, in helping to raise me and my sister because my parents were working all the time, yeah. would be six months Would be six months in between Sydney with us and the other six months in the UK with, with my uncle, my mum's older brother. And he left Fiji when he was 22 years old. He was a bit of a, a street thug gangster and he used to always give credit back to my grandfather. If he didn't ship him out of Fiji, he'd probably be in jail. And he went over to the UK and man worked his way up from flipping, flipping burgers on the grill to being one of the biggest franchise owners of, uh, of KFC, uh, Wimpy and Taco Bell. And, you know, he's, he's, he's a, he's a pretty, pretty big, big guy over there and done very well for himself all from zero. And yeah, I wow. would always look at how my grandparents spoke about him and how he would yeah, provide wow. And how he'd help and give back to the the less fortunate, poorer relatives in Fiji who didn't have water. He'd be building wells for the community. He'd be building houses and helping. I said, I want to. I I want. I don't necessarily want to be that guy, but I want to be the type of person that instills these values in people and is able to help. I had that from an early age, man. Um, And I was always the bigger kid, you know. So maybe from the early days, you know, imagine this this lanky kid. You know, I was. In kindergarten, I was the size of a year two kid, you know. So I'd walk in, and, <laughs> and all my mates would be the all my mates would be the little skinnier, skinnier runty kids, you know, who'd get bullied. And I think from from early on, it was always about just protecting and helping the the less fortunate, the, the slightly weaker people yeah. in society, and uplifting them and seeing them achieve greatness. So that was that was instilled me in me from early age, man. And then how that transcended the school, like I wasn't you know, straight A student by all means, you know, as I, I always say this, my, my biggest gift is the fact that I'm not gifted at anything. Nothing's come to me easy. 
But did you go on to study law? Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, I did, man. <laughs> so I, I did. Um, I did. Yeah. So I, um, I went through school, and I think my turning point yeah. was about year nine. Before year okay. nine, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. So I was playing okay. semi professional ball for Parramatta Wildcats. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So well, that's interesting. Let's go down that for a second, down that rabbit hole. So when did basketball come into the equation? Yeah. Year seven. I remember getting into, I went from Auburn West Primary School, um, just when basketball started to gain some some massive prevalence. And, and you know, Shaq, I wanted to be Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I didn't reach seven foot two. I think I'm stuck at six four. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I was six foot. I was six foot by the time I was in year seven, and um, I met oh, wow. I, I met a I met a gentleman at school, a kid at school named James Ednolino, who who saw me as being this big tall kid, and he he was playing basketball from pretty much the age of age of three years old. His dad chucked a basketball in his hand, and he's like, "Dude, like you got this height. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna play ball with you every afternoon." And I had no clue. I was pretty uncoordinated, as I said to you. I'm not gifted at anything, man. And um, just worked hard at it. And eventually, like by the time we were mid-year seven, end of year seven, I was dunking, you know, so vertical rings, you know, 10-foot ring, and I was dunking. I started to develop athletic yeah, prowess wow. through hard work. Um, yeah, so that's, wow. a, that's a basketball story, yeah. And so what level did you go to in basketball? So Semi-pro? like Yeah, so played, played, played for Parramatta Wildcats. The uh, Florida squad came out to, to select whatever the top 20 kids from, from the, the New South Wales region. Uh, I got selected, um, showing off. There must have been some girls sitting in the audience or something. There was somebody I was trying to impress. I went up and, and dunked, hung off the ring, fell off, and I fractured my my wrist. Um, so I had to get no. so I still got the scars to today. Um, yeah, man, got stars and um, fractured yeah, my wrist. Right. My old man sat me down and said, "Now imagine if you had a family, you had to provide, and this happened, your career's over." And you're nothing because you haven't got your education. Um, fast forward three months, my dad had a massive heart attack and died for 10 minutes and then was brought back. But my mum drove, drove my dad to hospital dead in the car. And they brought him back at Auburn Hospital. And um, that was probably my turning point, man. That's when that's when shit really settled. That was year nine, was it? Yeah, I was 15 years old. Yeah, yeah. That's when I became a man at 15, wow. you know, I became a man at 15 and um so what happened to dad was there an impact from that, that from that um episode that was long lasting yeah 30 percent of his heart is scar tissue they'll never recover and they discovered he had wow. a congenital issue with a leaky valve so while they had him open right. they then swapped in a mechanical valve into his heart but um man he's good now dad dad's 17 dad dad's good you know Rocking and rolling. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So then you, you threw yourself into law how do you go from basketball to law you seem to have that's that's a curious. So it's funny, man. It's actually in year nines when I, I first decided I need to start to I need to start to provide for the family. I mean, before that, I was always into to doing stuff to 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 get money because my parents were working two jobs each. So I remember mowing lawns. Uh, my parent, my dad said I wasn't allowed to take money off anyone from from cutting their grass because they're all neighbors and neighbors like family, and you don't take money off them. So if I'm cutting my dad's lawn, I got to cut their lawn for free. <laughs> And, uh, I love your dad. He's all about you got to you got to buy like fucking six lawns before you can start making dad, it profitable. Dad's a public service kind of guy, man. Like he's a he's got the I biggest heart in the world. You know, he's got the biggest heart in the world. Yeah. So a lot of that's rubbed off onto me um, over the years. And um, I remember there's this lady who lived across the road. Her name was Irene, and I went over and she would have been like ninety. She couldn't say Isa. She called me Caesar. She'd be like Caesar, 
Caesar. You know, and so I went over, I mowed her lawn, finished up, couldn't take money off an old lady. And, you know, dad, dad would be very angry if I did so. But I noticed she had these little plums in the front yard and this tree that were falling off and littering her front yard. So I said, Irene, um, man, do, you want, do you want me to get rid of this? And she's like, oh, that'd be great. So I went and got mom's laundry basket, filled them up with the plums, went and washed them in the bathtub, bagged them up in these little bags and went to school and sold them for five bucks a bag. And I was slinging 10 bags a day in like whatever year, you know, year seven, year eight, making 50 bucks a day. It's pretty big money for a 12-year-old. Yeah. Wow. That's how I bought my yeah, basketball wow. shoes, Cohen, man. That's how I, afford, that's that's how awesome. I could afford to buy the basketball shoes. Dude, wow, that's almost, that's better than my story. I sold sh- d- horse shit door to door. That's, um, that's, that's you awesome. Shit to people. I love that story. Man, we, we literally sold so much shit. We ran out of shit. We had to, and then we converted to chocolates. And then like, I was like 12, 13, like your age, and we fucking ate all the profits. So, okay, so what happens next? So that's when I first got the taste of being able to provide for myself. Yeah, then obviously, Obviously, this is such a funny story. The kids who bought yeah, the right. plums then started to throw the plums at, at each other in school, and the teachers eventually discovered that I was the kid slinging the plums, and they put that to an end. Um, fast forward a couple of years later, year nine, dad had that huge heart attack. Mum and couldn't afford to pay the bills in the household. Dad stopped working, you know, the two-job yeah. pitch and all that stuff. So okay. tough time in the family. So I got a job at Foot Locker, and uh, okay. I, was, I was in year nine, 14, nine months. I think I just cracked 15 uh and so i went in man and i was working all day saturday all day sunday thursday night so still r- racking up some big hours and while doing full-time school um and footlock is great because i could afford to i could get basketball shoes for fit for yeah right of course know, just sponsorship get- baby um yeah so i started working there started paying attention in school and i realized look if i pay attention to certain things and decide to apply my willpower and 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 strive to actually become better at something started paying off. So I went from year nine being pretty mediocre to year 10 ducksing the, the coming first in pretty much every subject. Um, yeah. Wow. And then in grade 10, my sister would have been in second year university and far- doing pharmacy. And my sister is the type of girl who is so dedicated and has this kind of OCD studious mentality, much, much better than I ever had. And, um, she just wouldn't leave her room and my mum was worried about my sister. So I was like, okay, cool. Do you, I went up to her and I said, do you want me to help you with the assignments? She's like, you don't know anything. So I took a chemistry textbook and I studied chemistry um, in the summer holidays. For three months, I taught myself the um, first year pharmacy chemistry syllabus in grade 10. Um, so I did my HSC for chemistry a year early, uh, which gave me a leg up. I got pretty good results in that. I finished, finished high school, got 99 in my HSC, got a scholarship to go to to go to law school, didn't get into law straight away because wow. the mark was 99.4. I got 99.0. So I went and sat oh, with a dean of law and I told him my story and he said, I'll do your, do your deal. If you go and you get straight high distinctions in your commerce subjects, I'll let you transfer over after a year. So after the first semester, I came, not, not just HDs, I worked my butt off, came first in every subject. And I went up to him after first semester and said, can you can you cut me a deal early, man? Can I, can I transfer over now? And he's gracious enough to allow me to do that, man. So that's a wow. law story. Yeah, that's a law story. And then fast wow. forward five years, five years later, I got- So you completed the, the degree, you completed law. So I, yeah, I did commerce, double majoring in finance and accounting, and I finished law with first class honors at Sydney University. You're a fucking machine. <laughs> it's like, i'm not really that academic oh you know i was, wasn't really studious i, think, I just I think the thing is man i i wasn't really that ever ever that good at, at it man i just 
the, the what happened was I had the the beauty, the the benefit, the you know the the grace of good fortune to be put into a situation where I had to force myself. There was no other option, man. There's no option to fail, dude. I, you know, there's no option to fail. Like I got to provide, and I got to do this shit to get out of the rut that my family's in this situation. And I just realized, like, if I pay attention and have the willpower and the focus to want to become better, and I strive for that then I'll be able to deliver my full potential. And I was lucky enough to be able to do so. So yeah, managed to finish that law degree. That's awesome. And that's what I love about, you know, I've, I've, I've interviewed quite a number of immigrants and this is why I am so pro um, uh, immigration, especially when it comes to uh, Australia, is there's a completely different work ethic I've discovered, not in everyone, but I've noticed this is a very common trait. And I've spoken to other successful mates, um, you know, who would agree from the stories that they've had. When you come from a situation where you have no choice, if you don't make money, you don't survive. And then you come into a country like Australia, it's almost like you don't lose that mentality. And, you know, because Australia's, and I, I almost, refer to Australia's got very much a welfare psychology, meaning that, well, I could work, but if I don't, I'm still going to get paid. I'm still going to get the doll. I'm going to get some kind of a handout from the government. Whereas in most countries, you know, Fiji and many parts of Asia, it's just, you don't have that luxury. And so, you know, when kids come over, especially when they've, you know, you're five years of age, you've seen how hard it is over there. Do you think that played a significant role in your hunger? And not just, obviously your dad, your dad, what happened to your dad was a significant part, but it seems to me that there's something that runs deeper within the culture. Yeah, interesting question. Look, if, if you've been to Fiji, you know about the Fijian culture. It's all about Fiji time, bula, what, whatever will happen, will happen, man. Whatever will happen, will happen. You know, it's all about what, if we go fishing today and we catch some fish, we're eating all the fish today and not worrying about tomorrow. So I don't necessarily think it's a cultural thing. I definitely think it's an idiosyncratic thing. It's a personal thing. It's unique. It's about a person, how they're wired, their mindset. And I believe that the biggest driver for that is a psychology of having, it's just your mindset, man. You see, you either got a growth mindset, you got a fixed mindset. You're either a consumer or you're a provider or you're a creator, right? And so from my perspective, you can live in a community and you can consume what that community creates. Great. Well done. Awesome. Okay. Eventually that shit's going to run out. Whereas my mindset's always been, how can I either go create or how can I go hunt and find so I can give back more to the community than I've consumed? And if you can have that mindset, mate, that's that that, that you're providing for the next generation. I've got two little daughters, you know, so oh, I, wow. I definitely want to create a better world for them, man. So look, dude, to answer your question, man, like I... I get it. Like my, my wife is also Anglo. She's as white as paper, mate. You know, you look tan next to her, uh, Cohen. <laughs> English <laughs> Irish heritage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call me Casper. <laughs> but Katie, Katie is even more driven than I am. You know, she's we've got two baby girls mm. now, but I call her Coach Katie because she jokes around. She's like, I'm the chairman of the company. I've got a really good CEO. You know, you worked about officer. She's got a stronger work ethic than I do because it's yeah, not right. a person. It's about how your mind is wired and I don't believe there's some like you can either have a genetic predisposition for it, but it's nature versus nurture. And I definitely think there's always a turning point where a person has the ability to be exposed to something. Once you're made aware and once you know you can strive for something, man, that's the, that's a real game changing point. That's a fucking great answer. So you, you've done law, you've finished law, you've come out can't see a guy as kind and as humble as big hearted as you becoming a lawyer so what happened 
Um, did, I might just rewind for a bit why I chose to, yeah, I just wanted to do cardiothoracic surgery because my dad had a heart attack and I, I promised my dad when he was in the hospital bed that dad, I promise I'm going to dedicate my life to, to helping other people who had a heart attack like yours. And I want to do surgeries for free and help people and all that stuff of one dad, you got to make it till you're 65 years old. I'm going to buy you a Mercedes when you turn 65 years old. And little things that like, you know, a dumb kid says to their dad, just to give him the motivation. I'm thinking dad's going to get G'd up and want to bounce back because his son's going to buy him a Merc in 65 years. Dad doesn't give a fuck about that stuff, man. I did buy him the Merc though on his 65th birthday. Um, that's a different story, but rewind to then when I finished my HSC and I got that mark and my, uh, my grandma, um, um, yeah, may have oh, rest in peace. Her soul, uh, she passed away. It's very close to her. She took me to Fiji um, to give me a little treat because I got the, the that mark. And um, I was in the villages where her, her siblings live, and they live in the rural hills in like the inlands of Fiji. Man, like you think Fiji is all this beautiful sandy beach shit? You ain't seen Fiji, brother, until I take you to to Tangi Tangi Tavua where they live, and they live in a tin shed. That's their house. And I stayed there for two weeks and I heard all their stories and they said, they were so proud, man. I'll goosebumps telling this story, dude. And they said to me, they said, is, they said, Izu, <clears throat> you, you, you've been bestowed with a very special responsibility and a gift from our community and God, Allah has blessed you with this thing. They go, you will come and fight for our land rights. You know, our people, the slaves that were brought over to come and work here were promised that we were going to be given land. They gave us land and they've dogged us and they're going to be taking away this land. And we're not going to have this land. And you will become a lawyer and you will fight for our rights. Man. Oh, my God. Um, How old were you? I, like 17 and a half. I just finished, like, you know, probably 18. Yeah, I just finished high school. Wow. Okay. And so that's another pivotal moment, obviously, in your life. Well, that's when moment. I chose to do freaking law, man. I, yeah, be, yeah. I, I might be a doctor now, maybe, maybe if I had <laughs> to if I pass. <clears throat> And so you, whilst you're at law, studying law, did any of this come to fruition? Has that come to fruition? What's happened? So not directly. So look, I, I went through law school um, midway through. My, my grandma passed away and um, yeah, I went through law school. I got the marks, graduated first class honors. These big law firms come knocking on the door, got headhunted by a firm called Clayton Utes. Um, got in there, was treated very, very nicely by Clayton Utes. Um, I was the... Yeah, I was, I was really looked after at Clayton Utes, man. Like, that's great, great firm, great people, so caring. And it was the first time that I really experienced meritocracy in my life that it doesn't matter what I look like. I, I didn't go to fancy private school. I don't have lawyer barrister parents. It was just what I was able to deliver. What value can I deliver? And how can I truly stand up as a man on my two feet and be able to to be off substance and off value. That was the first time I truly realized that, Cohen. Yeah? Yeah, wow. And so I still have a lot of respect for the firm. I know a lot of lawyers talk shit about being involved in these firms. I think it's very narrow-minded and selfish to have that approach. I think you should be very grateful for every experience you have in life because other people don't have those fucking experiences, right? Yeah, I don't know. I work so my true. ass off, dude. I work my ass off. I did do the whole 16-hour days. The GFC hit. I would have been a third or fourth year lawyer, all my mates around me, this is 2010, all my mates around me being made redundant. Uh, I got promoted senior associate at 26. I was one of the youngest senior associates in Australian corporate law freaking history, whatever, and whatever the firm liked to, to carry on about. And then um, I, 
I, I definitely abused my body with the amount of work I was doing and the, the lack of sleep and thinking I was Superman and I got diagnosed with autoimmune disease. Put me yeah, on my wow. ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I was internally bleeding. So I'd go to the bathroom and 12 times a day and all that come out when I'd be on the toilet, it's blood. Fills up the entire basin of the, the entire toilet bowl. And uh, it was a bit of a difficult time. We didn't know what it was. It's this, you know, colon cancer, the, you know, the, the, the evil, the evil C word. I know there's two evil C words, but yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> this one. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I hear you, brother. Um, yeah, it was a very challenging time. And I just been recently newly married man at the time and got worked oh, that hard. Shit. End up putting myself in hospital uh, with the amount of internal bleeding that was going on. And that was that critical moment, dude, where I'm in hospital and I'm lying there thinking what do I want to do for the rest of my life and thinking about all these things that, that I've experienced through life and purpose and meaning and value and giving back. And I thought to myself, like, if I can get out of here, I'm going to dedicate my life to what my original promise was to my dad for help to help people prevent disease and bring about better, healthier outcomes for themselves instead of getting sick and then trying to deal with it, you know? Because I don't know if you know about Fiji, we've got massive diabetes, metabolic disease issue. There's people with heart disease, you know, as soon as sugar has been introduced to any ethnic community, whether it's American Indians, the indigenous Australians, the Fijians, Fijian Indians, whoever, we get diabetes straight away, dude. (laughs) Like our body's not designed to handle uh, sucrose sugar. So um, yeah, man, I was able to put myself into remission without being on any hectic steroidal drugs and prednisone and stuff i avoided all of that was it crohn's is that what it ended up being crohn's disease yeah, yeah. so the, the autoimmune disease is technically defined as a fusion between it's both crohn's and ulcerative colitis so the inflammation goes up right. to the upper and the the lower part of the gastrointestinal tract uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, and that's brought about other kind of autoimmune stuff too. The psoriasis. Look, I know you're a bit of a philosophical guy, so I'll just throw this one out there. Do you think there was an emotional connection to that, to what you were doing at the time? Like, because obviously at this point you're still in law, you're studying law. Do you think that there was any connection to that? Um. Yeah, look, I I, I wouldn't put it as, as as deep as that. Possibly, uh, I, okay. I I'm a strong believer that whatever whatever God throws at us. Uh, mm he's thrown at us because we can handle it and yep. and the, and 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 that everything uh it, whether it's pain or pleasure just like whatever we've gone through coronavirus just now it's just it's it's beautiful everyone's saying that it's a uh, it's god's punishment and and all this stuff on on mankind and how we you know terrible to the environment and things and i take i take the opposite view nature continued brother we were locked up inside our houses like birds in a cage whereas nature continued you know the birds are outside chirping and the dolphins are still jumping in bronte beach you know it's just things continued it's just us as humans that's how insignificant we are in this world and so how could we be how can we be so insignificant yet have such a detrimental effect on the environment and you know it's just yeah that kind of stuff man but look i i, I don't necessarily think the yeah i haven't thought it was about a connection that. yeah I, and, I but at this point you had a, a real you you question though so what what when you started to you rehabilitated yourself but was it through the rehabilitation process that you decided to question or you went on the hunt for how did it happen so uh, no, so look, I didn't want to take uh, one of the the drugs, and um, I won't mention names of drugs and things like that. But one of the side effects is is leukemia off this particular steroidal type of drug that I was recommended to take yeah, to wow. treat uh, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. 
I thought, no, stuff that. I'm not going to do that. There's going to be better ways out there that I can I can heal my body. And so I looked into alternative ways, you know, my nutrition, uh, glutamine, looking at glutathione as one of the antioxidants that's, you know, amazing at reducing inflammation throughout your body. Um, and funnily enough, whey protein, there's so much clinical research done at the moment on the effects of whey protein on people who have cystic fibrosis, which is another autoimmune disease that causes inflammation of the lungs. And actually says that, by consuming whey, I think 60 grams of whey a day, whey protein a day, that it increases the glutathione levels uh, in your mitochondria that help to reduce inflammation of the lungs for people with cystic fibrosis. That's pretty epic shit. Yeah, that's wow. the kind of stuff I know down, I feel fully geeked you out there, but like that's- a No, I love that like, shit. Come on. <laughs> that's okay, that's awesome. And drives my passion, man. So- I And is that how you segment it into supplements? Because so, I'm going to assume at this point you were looking for something. Because, um, you know, I told you about the getting 99 in my HEC and working hard and all that yeah. stuff back in school. The, you got to sacrifice something, man. And so after basketball, my body took a bit of a change. All I did was was eat and study. And I'd only, I'd only be able to justify to myself to take a study break if I was eating. And so what that meant was like I'd be having dinner at 9.30 so I could watch Law and Order uh, and get all this inspiration <laughs> and, and, and be having my dinner at 9.30 at night and excessive amounts of eating. So what I found was if I wanted to take a break because I could only take a break if I was eating, I was then finding myself eating all the time. And so it probably mm. was an eating disorder. You know, it probably was. It's undiagnosed yeah, wow. kind of eating disorder and stuff. But uh, I had that. I put on so much weight, man. I got to my normal body weight's 100 kilos. I got up to 118, close to 120 kilos. And so when I finished up, I then started to join the gym as the first fitness first that opened up in Auburn in Sydney. And mum took me down, got me a membership and uh, she got membership too. And we both tried this health kick and I was very much into what can I do that makes me better than everyone? What make, what can I do that makes me better than me? Like ordinarily, like how can I bring the best out of myself? And I discovered supplements, man. I discovered whey protein. I was, I was, taking whey protein from when I was 18, 19 years old. I was into thermogenics. I was taking Bacopa Monieri Brahmi pills from when I was in year 10 because I knew the correlation between cognitive enhancement and Bacopa Monieri. Yeah. I was biohacking that shit and into nootropics before people are talking about nootropics. It's just stuff I'm into because I personally want to be so much better than I am now because I told you, man, like I'm not necessarily gifted anything. So I got to work fucking 10 times harder than everyone else. I got to look at where yeah. are the next tricks and tips and little hacks and ways of improving myself. Cause I haven't just, I haven't been the best. I haven't just naturally come first at something. It's a shit ton of work to get there. Dude, that's awesome. So nootropics, um, I'm, I'm curious, actually, no, we'll, 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 I'm going to save nootropics for the end. So at this point, is this when you started to, you obviously had an obsession with supplementation. You've been taking supplements for a very long time, but at what point did you go, okay, I think there's not only a commercial opportunity here, but I think I'm actually going to pursue it. Yeah, no, good question. So after I got out of hospital, um, my wife and I were walking through Randwick. We, that's where we were living back then. And the optometrist that she used to go to just had closed his, his shop and his shop was right opposite Fitness First in Randwick. And I thought to myself, hey, like while we've been living here and I've been training going to the gym, I have to drive to like Granville or Marylands or other places I was used to buying supplements from, from, you know, various of the retailers that existed. So I thought, you know what, we should set up a, a supplement store here to, to cater for the area. There's 5,000 Fitness First members and no supplement store. 
So um, just was a no-brainer, made sense and had no business experience like technically from a retail sense. Set up the store. Uh, we were retailing all of the, the top American products and a few of the Australian products. Australian technology and, and advancements weren't really there yet in sports nutrition. Um, yeah, so we ran that store for three months and that's where my real frustration came about that, you know, there's all these supplements, particularly in the weight loss and fat loss area that people were coming in and asking about or wanting and demanding. And we didn't really have anything that ticked all the boxes. And so I'd constantly be frustrated that, okay, well, I'll give you these products here. It's either pill or powder form, but hey, it's got 1,3-dimethylamine in there or it's got other stimulant, meth-based stimulants in there, excessive amounts of caffeine, nothing that mm. actually really mobilized the fat cells, nothing that actually worked in uh, promoting fullness, your satiety, you know, be, being full, nothing that actually helped you curb your, your appetite, nothing that helped to block carbs being converted to fat. And man, that was my real catalyst, dude. So like from there, I was just like whinging and whining all the time. Like I do, my wife's just like, dude, just stop whinging, man. If you want to go, if you think you can make something better, go make it. So while she went over to Ireland to visit her sick grandparents with her dad, um, I jumped on Google, typed in best place to formulate sports supplements, watched a documentary on Utah in the supplement industry. Googled Google supplement manufacturing in Utah and found 10 emailed, one responded back, jumped on a Skype call. And within two days, I, I was flying to America in 2012. I'd never been to the States before. So no shit. That's how that stuff all started, man. So I got myself, um, I was thinking I had three or $4,000 left in my bank accounts. So I paid that over, got myself access to a contract lab for two weeks started formulating uh, what my vision was for the best fat burner in the world. It's Oxy Shred. And if you've consumed the product, you know how good it is in terms of not just fat burning, but mental focus, putting you in a good mood, helping to curb appetite. I haven't eaten from morning from when I've woken up. I'm just I'd sipping on my Oxy Shred. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, from 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 that real vision and and dedication you know your podcast is called unstoppable you know when you're mm -hmm. so so obsessed and dedicated about trying to bring something about because you truly believe in it you believe you're unstoppable mm -hmm. you know i've been stopped Cohen, so i'm not going to ever say i'm unstoppable god will stop me in my fucking tracks brother he's put me in hospital before like i'm not going to have the veracity and audacity to come out and make that statement i get i get i get the coolness of that i get the the gist dude but for, for me i'm i'm very stoppable like yeah I'll, I'll be stopped i've been stopped before but um i'm mm -hmm. i'm obsessed i'm relentless i'm dedicated i'll bring that about and i got in the lab man i started formulating we created oxy shed i was i'm a i'm a food guy so i had to taste amazing and we we dropped our first two um oxy shred flavors is pink grapefruit and wild melon the two ogs and is at a perfect time because 1,3-dimethylamine just got banned. All of the American sports supplements in, in weight loss that had that ingredient got banned. And we were the first product to ever hit the market to include the clinical dosage of acetylcarnitine to actually transport fat and drive it into the core of your cells, your mitochondria to convert it to natural energy. So we have no meth ingredients in our, in our fat burner like other ones do. And yeah, the product just became viral, man. People felt great on it. You wake up, you're in a good mood as soon as you take it. Suppresses your appetite, and people are dr dropping fat on it. Uh, and the product speaks for itself, man. So that's how Oxy Shred came about, and the whole kind of journey to supplements and creating brand. 
So OxyShred was uh, supplement number one. So at first you only had one product in the range? Correct. So I made we made OxyShred and we had our first original product uh, pre-workout it's really funny because uh it was like a 14 and a half gram scoop of clinical dosage of a pre-workout called buzz and funnily enough like now seven years later the market actually truly realizes the importance of clinical dosages and values that but it was just way too strong for people back then so that didn't really catch on oxy shred went viral from day one man we were we had no money as a brand right this is all bootstrap zero investment zero this is where you blew up right yeah, and you do. Uh, from memory, it was like um, I've got it on the notes here somewhere. In your first three months, what was the? Uh, I've got it here somewhere. So we clicked up. That's right. From day one, day one, you generated a million dollars in sales in the first four months. Yeah, and the, then it was three million in the first year. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. And that's off Oxy Shred alone, is that right? Yeah, pretty much Oxy Shred alone. That's that's fucking impressive because yeah. a lot of people go oh, two flavors, you know, one product. <laughs> One product, that's not a fucking business. That's a promotion. But then when you look at th- those numbers, that's that's fucking epic. Red Bull's got one product. We had one product for years, dude. So, uh, you know, when 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 we looked at, um, I wanted to create the best product, you know, it, that, that we could at that time. And we only yeah. had two flavors. We had two variants. Uh, it was an interesting time. It was a time when we had no money, no budget for marketing, Cohen, like nothing. And back then in 2013, you want a brand if you want in a glossy magazine, you know, you're, you're into your fitness. I can obviously see those huge guns sticking out of that jumper. Um, <laughs> little, peck, little peck dance, don't um, So there we go. And so from, from my, from our perspective, we had to be creative and um, yeah, we, we were, we were early, early on the whole influencer stage uh, space. We didn't know what an influencer was. We didn't, there was no, the, the, the term wasn't even coined. This is like 2012. And we had this girl as a personal trainer from Bondi who had 50,000 fans on Facebook pre-reach restriction algorithms. And what that means is if she does a post about a particular product or anything, 50,000 people all see it because it comes chronologically in your feed back in the Facebook days. And so of uh, a pre-reach restriction algorithm. And so we didn't have product then. It was just an idea. I'd come back, we had a tub and a label and I had her holding up the tub and label um, and pretty much post and she tried the product. She loved her samples, little samples, but she said, who knows where I can get Oxy Shred in Australia. I hear it's like, amazing in America. And that was our sales team. That was our marketing team. Her fans became our sales team because we strategically wow. ensured we didn't have an e-commerce. So e-commerce was around in 2012. We didn't set up out an e-commerce website. I set up a, a landing page um, that I SEO optimize to ensure it's called our distribution company in Australia and New Zealand is called Tiger Nutrition. So we own the whole vertical from production to to distribution in you know, globally. Beautiful. Um, allows us to control different things and um, yeah, ensure the product doesn't get in the wrong hands. But we set up the distribution company in Australia and New Zealand called Tiger Nutrition. And our SEO optimized it so that if you went into Google, if you knew about OxyShred, you went to Google and you typed in OxyShred Distributor Australia, Tiger Nutrition would pop up and had the landing page to contact us and phone us. So I remember when we did that campaign with this person, this personal trainer from Bondi, 
um, she did this post, the guy, like every guy wanted to date her and every girl wanted to be her. So everyone wanted to impress her. Right. And she's like, please comment below Facebook message me. If you can, if you know where I can find us, so everyone's calling supplement stores, everyone's messaging and, you know, going to websites wow. looking for the brand and, you know, Aussie retailers are smart. Like, you know, if they, they feel that there's demand, they're missing out on something, they want to get it. So they obviously didn't never heard of OxyShred before. They Googled OxyShred Distributor Australia, Target Nutrition pops up. I fucking love it. It's very, uh, very Justin Herald. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and from 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 that day, dude, we, from that day, from that moment, we've never ever yeah. knocked on a door to sell our product. Right? In February, Vitamin Shop with 780 stores in North America approached us saying, hey, we've seven years later, we finally, <laughs> we've heard of your product and everyone wants it, you know, can we can we talk? And that gives you the commercial and comparative advantage to get out to to get into the negotiations and not be screwed and not be screwed over commercially yeah um same thing with gnc three and a half thousand stores were lucky enough not to actually enter that deal and get screwed over they just filed chapter 11 bankruptcy um so they'll restructure has, has that actually been a, a bit of a strategy for you guys like build the demand to such a level where they come to you like the bigger players versus you going to them or have you had some situations where you've actually been um been proactive and headhunted distribution no, no one likes a door-to-door -door salesman, okay? Because no one likes their their privacy to be invaded. No one likes to be hawked. You know, you see some signs. I didn't know what this word was until I Googled. They said no hawking. I was like, what the fuck's a hawker? So no, 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 no one likes that, do they? Like, no one likes that. No, no one likes to then, and even if you do impulsively buy, what do you get immediately? Buyer's remorse. Oh, shit. I just got fucked over. That guy came and sold me, man. But when are you actually fully satisfied and deeply connected to buying or investing in a product? When? When you want it because you go searching for it, right? And I can't remember what it was. I think it was seek.com. You said seek and you shall find. Seek, yeah, it was seek, right? The employment mm -hmm. website. Yeah, seek mm -hmm. and you shall find. Well, cool, man. Like if I'm hunting for something, if I'm hunting for a job, if I'm hunting for a house that I want to buy, if I'm in the car showroom for a car I want to buy, I end up getting it out great i feel amazing i'm gonna tell the whole world about it yeah and that's the approach that we took with with our product and getting out of there because don't forget i used to run a store too, a retail store and i used to mm. hate it when a rep would walk in my store going hey do i have a deal for you today you know buy now and i'll give you this 25 percent off with free shaker bottles and blah 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 no one wants that shit. what's the number one yeah. retailer problem right now globally this is a universal problem that every retailer has and what is it knowing what to sell because if you choose the right price to have on your shelf, the customers will come in, right? Sell what they, sell what the people want. <laughs> and so all we did was created the best product in the world, got it out there, created awareness and controlled the narrative, right? We controlled mm. the narrative that we had with the people who ultimately have the power. And George Orwell mm. wrote about this in the book, 1984, man, the proles, we're the yeah. proles, we're the people. Give the people the power and everyone else will follow, man. Yeah, wow. And so how many products do you have in the range now? We're talking eight years later. Dude, there's, yeah, there's, there's close to 70 products. There's another 58 new products that I've finalized that are rolling out part of our NPD calendar in the, in the next 20 months. It's all mapped out. Wow. It's first time That's ever. That, yeah, it's first time ever that we've got a, a clear trajectory and a, and a pathway that we're going to follow, which is super exciting. And so how has Corona affected you guys? 
it's affected a whole range of businesses in a whole range of ways, some more than others. For others, it's created more business. I'm going to assume OxyShred might be doing pretty good right now. So um, look, it's it, our company is really, really well diversified. So EHP Holdings is, you know, and brands EHP Labs, you've got different geographic markets we're in as well as different sales channels. So we, do, we, we own and control the distribution companies within Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the US, uh, Dubai, and in UK, they're all wholly owned subsidiaries within, within our group. Um, anyone supplying retail has been, has been hit supplying, you know, like retailers, bricks and mortar. Yeah. Of um, course. We were lucky enough to be hit very hard in the early days. Uh, but however much we were hit by that was then picked up by obviously the, the massive spike across e-commerce, uh, especially across, um, the United States. Um, we quickly pivoted and got a, got an Australian website up within a week. The team hustled and, and got that up. So yeah, we're agile, we're responsive and we've been able to, to really get through these difficult times. I think the most important thing that Corona's really brought front of mind is our health. Uh, it's the mm. key priority of our physical health and our mental health. And I think these are two key things that sometimes get shelved. And when we can bring about understanding that our physiology movement, um, you know, I think it was Tony Robbins that said, you know, the word, the word motion is within the word emotion, you know, so when you can move your body and control, your, you know, the movements of your body, it, it, it impacts essentially on how you feel. Uh, mm. controls your hormones, controls various things that, um, that, 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 that contribute to your mental state of mind. And uh, we saw the, the pros and cons of this, man. So, the, yeah, OxyShred uh, obviously increased in, in demand for e-com. Our, our OxyWay protein um, grew. It was, yeah, it's been, it's been definitely a, a pivot and a change. Yeah, we've been pretty lucky to get through it. You know, I've got a lot of friends that have been negatively affected by, by Corona, but we're, 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 we're doing okay. We're doing okay. You're, you're punching on. With that, you've mentioned the pivot with, um, with, with what you've gone through so far. Are there any bigger pivots that are coming? Because obviously there's a huge amount of uncertainty, you know, second wave, third wave, um, where we go from here. Um, who knows what could actually happen. But are you guys starting to make some more strategic moves long term in terms of your business model from a pivoting perspective? I think it's important for, and pivot became a massive buzzword. I think just always, no. we've been very responsive, adaptable and flexible, Um you know, the whole Darwin's theory is neither the strongest nor the smartest that survives um, in a time of change. It's the one that's the fastest to adapt to that change. And um, the team, the team's scaled up now is approximately 106 people in the company. And for us to know that we're as agile as we were when there was three to now being 106 is super awesome. Like within the mm. week, we can get a, a new site up in a new market that's been hit because of retail slumping. Um, yeah, we're, we're definitely opening up um, the diversification of our of our product range, opening up into functional foods and FMCG. You might be seeing an OxyShred um, energy drink in a can, sparkling version hitting all your convenience stores throughout the world. Uh, that'd be pretty pretty cool. And that's in the in the works, man. I won't spoil that too much for you. Uh, that's very exciting. That's like going mainstream retail, mainstream retail distribution. Yeah, and I think that the, the brand's got a certain level of respect in in the performance space. I think we 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 command a little bit of that extra edge. In that you know, it's it's 
it's for the discerning. It's for the people that that know what it is, and we hope that that brings about some level of clout when we do release the products into those different uh, categories and channels. So, outside of business, um, I, I get the sense you're a big family guy, but you also mentioned earlier that you're quite a philosophical guy, and I, I get the sense that's rooted in your upbringing. You've, you've been, you know, brought up, you know, in an environment where there's a lot of faith, by the sounds of it, um, religion as well. What is it, Phil? Um, philosophically that you find interesting now from a um because you're an obsessive guy right and it seems to me like you ask big questions and you've kind of got to this point in life where you've created this big business and there's still more to come but have you got to the point where you've started asking some bigger questions around life and why we're here and and where is that taking you yeah absolutely man this has gone deep now um for me i'm lucky enough to 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 feel personally that i've worked it out and this given me a lot of peace because I did have some, some big anxiety a couple of years ago when you get to a certain stage financially and you, you know, uh, you speak to, to a whole bunch of people and, and it gets to that point. You can, you don't have to look at, um, at a menu when you're ordering food because you mm-hmm. don't care what something costs. You know, you've, I've driven every, you know, car and supercar and been on, different countries and hotels and all the all the experience stuff and materialistic stuff and people say it's not about Mm. the materialistic stuff but it's about your experiences and my response to that is maybe till you get to a point where you can experience enough to have true insight into what your purpose is and and the simon sinek big what's your why or what's the motive behind the motivation what wakes me up every day why i work 16 hours a day still today you know we're going to hit the 100 mil revenue mark by this financial year we're meant to be on target for that the GNC thing will set us back a little bit, but to get to 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 the nine figure mark is is becomes a monopoly for us. Like it's almost meaningless. It d- doesn't really matter. Like the actual big driving force behind it all is what's the real impact? And we're put on this earth to, as 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 a gift, not to us, but to the people that will come after us. And we need to do we need to fulfill our true purpose and give justice to our ancestors the predecessors who were here before us for what they paid for us man and for us to actually pay homage to that right you can't think of all the sacrifices that the people made that were here before us to give us what we have and what are we then going to do to ensure that we create a better world you've got a son right you've got a son yeah i've got two daughters right and so for us as parents as fathers we have a huge responsibility on our shoulders and as mothers too for, for our children that, you know, the mothers have a huge responsibility. What are we going to do to instill to our children that it's more than just because our children are obviously going to be a lot more privileged than we were, you know, and that's, that's a bit dangerous, but how can we show them that that's not what we work for? That's just what we've mm. been blessed with and what tools and, and, and resources we have to essentially make this world a better place so that they grew up in a better world than we grew up in. That, that, that's what really drives me, man. That's my purpose. That's why I know I'm here. That's the whole meaning of being a parent. That's your legacy. So what do you want to be remembered for is? Oh, man, huge question, dude. Like if I can just, if, if one person can just sit there and say at my funeral that this man here lying in the earth six foot deep before me helped to make me better, brother, I'm going to be lying in that grave a happy man. Just one person. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter. Like, I, I don't want to move a, a million people. If I do, great. If it's one person, amazing, because that one person lives on while I'm down there. That one person now, that legacy, the baton's been passed into that person. So, yeah, small goals, man. Micro goals lead to macro goals. 
Man, I get the sense that um, there's there's got to be a book at some point because there's there's such a story here. Um, but you're a very humble guy. Is there going to be a book at any point that's going to share your story? <laughs> well, I haven't thought about that, Cohen. Man, to be to be honest with you, that's the first time I've been asked that question. I work, Cohen. Man, like I don't do these interviews very often, dude. You know, when when Annabelle and your your team reached out to one of my athlete managers, who then reached out to me, who then said, "You have to check this Cohen guy out," and I really like him. I follow his stuff. I I start listening to your stuff while I walk my dog at five thirty in the morning. <laughs> And I really, I really like what you're about because you truly Thank care you, through what you do. You want to make other people better. And because of your, mm. I understood your values and that aligned with me. So I'm sitting here talking to you, brother, but I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not one to, it's not the Isabasha show. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be famous. I, I don't want to do anything. You I know? Like I want to, I, if, if it does one day come out, it comes out, but yeah, my story is going to be through my children and through my team, amazing team here. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm speechless. Like it's probably the first time you stumped me with that question, but <laughs> not, not, not front of mind, brother. I'm going to continue working on, on what I do and, and hopefully through my work, the stories are told by, by other people instead of through, through my own writing. I think it's a little bit contrived to write my own book, brother. It's, uh, Man, who knows? Maybe, maybe, uh, your daughters will write it for you. You just don't know. Hey, you just don't know. But mate, honestly, I uh, I feel very privileged is because I know you don't normally do interviews, um, and I feel very blessed that your athlete manager passed you through. We have a lot of athletes that follow us, a lot of competitors that follow us, um, and so with that in mind, like where can people find out more about the brand, the products, Oxy, Oxy Shred, all the other Oxy Way? Uh, where can they find out more? Yeah, thanks, man. So just ehp ehplabs.com and um, ehplabs on Instagram. Um, I, I'm very personal on my Instagram just for people that truly want to connect and, and, you know, get some type of insight and motivation, inspiration, pretty open with my IG stories. And it's, if you want more of the motiv daily motivation of philosophy behind what drives us is just I Z H A R B A S H A is our basha on Instagram. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's where you can find me and find it, find it. We'll put all those details below. Uh, is from my heart to your heart, brother. Thank you so much. I can't. Uh, I can't thank you enough. And hopefully, at some point, we can talk you into coming and speaking to our K twos and sharing your story on a stage at some point. Man, if it's helping people, and I love what you do, Cohen. Man, I actually strongly believe. I I feel you know you've had a gift and you do some awesome shit, man. So definitely happy to help you and 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 the people that you impact their lives, man. Happy to help in whatever way I can. You're an absolutely incredible human being. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank Onan Sapo Iza Bashar. Thank you, brother. Mate, that was epic. Thank you, brother. This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know your comments help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website, KerwinRay.com and also check us out on all social media on the handle at Kerwin Ray. Thanks for joining us.